you are visiting with us today, we welcome you. If you could not be with us last Sunday, we welcome you as we celebrate this month what God has done in our lives for the last 17 years. So open your bulletins and you will see a purple insert that says celebrating the power of love. When we celebrate a birthday or celebrate an anniversary, we reflect and remember the great things that have happened in that time period. So each Sunday I told you I would add four things. I apologize that evidently I told Stacy not to uh, blank the first four, but she wanted your ink pen to start running, so she did blank. So you'll have to even write in, but normally what I cover will just fill those answers in each week for you. But last Sunday, we saw that in the last 17 years, we praise the Lord and give thanks that we have seen thousands of persons trust Christ to be their personal Lord and Savior. And of those thousands, we celebrate the second bullet. We have seen 1,087 persons baptized, professing God's ownership and identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And, and you always see when the baptistry is open with water, We'll be doing that again today in second service. Uh, you notice the difference right there, and I commented last week, it is tragic that in the Christian community, according to every survey taken in the last 50 years, only about 30% of people that receive Christ even follow Him in baptism. And that's why you see the difference between 1,000 and uh, probably two to 3,000 folks that have received Christ, as many do not follow that obedience that the Lord commands because the majority of people in church today were baptized as babies, as infants. Many of you were. My wife was. And so often when they come to Christ, they struggle with family members saying, well, you've already been baptized. But again, we have built our church on the truth of God's Word, not traditions. So we teach our people, when you receive Christ, the first commandment after you receive Christ is to obey Him in professing God's ownership and identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection. And then the third bullet, we have seen God do mighty things at Lafayette High School and Crestview Middle School for eight and a half years. So our 17th anniversary marks the halfway time when we were at Lafayette and Crestview for eight and a half years moving barrels. Some of you that have never been in a church in a schoolhouse just do not know what you have missed. You, I mean every Saturday for eight and a half years, every Saturday. I mean Thanksgiving, Christmas, it did not matter. Every Saturday we needed to transform a high school into a church house. And we had all the children's, all the preschool, all the adult, all of the stuff that it takes to have Bible study in a trailer behind Lafayette High School. All the sound equipment, shrubs, the drums, the, the keyboards, everything, we had to bring it in and set up out in the front. All of the bulletins, anything we had to bring it in every Saturday. And then after Sunday, once everyone would go, you know how you come to church and you say, oh, that was good, and you leave? The same few had to break all that down. I drove a pickup truck back then. Even the signs to set up out and do that. And often after everyone was gone and we would load all that up and we would get home and the drums and the keyboards, that was our stuff, and so we would load it, and Ronnie would not let us leave it upstairs, so we had to take it down. It's called uh, child and husband abuse. We had to take it downstairs in the basement each week. And I can remember, I'm glad I was young then. Often when I would get through with that, I would literally just go upstairs and not even take my coat off and fall on the bed exhausted. Uh, sometimes in that fifth, sixth, seventh year, when we were still struggling with getting approval from Wildwood on this land. People would say, Pastor, will this ever end? You'd have thought they were in purgatory or something. And by the way, that place is non-existent. But I mean, they would say, will we ever get out of this? And I would say, give thanks that you have legs. Keep pushing. Keep
keep pulling, keep lifting. Uh, but this, uh, I said, I look forward to the day I can go to church and not take a drum set and two keyboards. And so it's great just to get in the car and bring my Bible now. But that's significant. And we praise the Lord for all he's done in both places. And in the, that other bullet, we have seen God's people give $21,613,161. And I just praise the Lord for all the gracious givers that God's given us. You know, last Sunday, I, I said to start our road back here, we needed 35000 I praise the Lord for the 27000 and something. And by the way, you can go back there and see a road has begun. And, and praise the Lord. Uh, someone said this week that they had told another one of our leaders that they're leaving our church because the pastor talks about giving so much. Well, somehow Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the scripture says with hilarious. You know, I'm looking forward when I start giving, you guys just start applauding and say, more, more, more. Because that's the Christ life. And, and you would not be sitting where you are. You'd be out in the field out there. Well, actually, you wouldn't even be out in the field unless people gave. And if you're not there yet, just hang in there. The joy of the Christian life is giving because God takes residence and reigns in our life. And He is the giver of all givers. And it's joyous to give. And I just praise the Lord for all those God's given us that not only give tithes and offerings but they give their time and their love and their service because that's what life's about giving and then new material today and and the way I get these things I just pray and think and say Lord wh what's something else that you want us as a church family as we celebrate your love for 17 years and as he just gives me things I just say well that's what we'll do none of them are more important than another they're all important because they're the work of God but this next bullet right in, we have had hundreds of persons serve the Lord by caring, loving, and teaching God's Word to thousands of precious children and students. Now, over the 17 years, I just thought about right now while we're in here, there are many downstairs teaching God's Word. Just write these things down underneath that. Write Sunday morning Bible study. And this is for our children and our middle school and high school students. Write down Wednesday evening Awana. For the first several years, we did it on Sunday night. Now we do it on Wednesday night. Uh, for years, we did children's camp, at, uh, mostly at uh, the Lake of the Ozarks, but a few other places. A Living Water Academy, Monday through Friday every day. There's about 115 children for six hours. Vacation Bible school, or now we call it Vacation Bible Camp. And uh, this weekend, there's about 40 high school girls on a weekend retreat down at the lake with several of our adult ladies. And there's no way you can ever estimate the value of the power of love and care and God's Word in all these precious little ones. If you've been one of those through the 17 years, or you're presently one, would you stand right now, whether you're an adult or a student? And we have both. Kirk and Jane, you've been to children's camp many times. You qualify. You've been in vacation Bible camp. Let's give these guys a great big hand. Now, that was the puniest hand I've ever heard. Now, I'll give you another opportunity to do better, to warm up. But thank you, each one of you. I'd like to hug your neck personally. Uh, praise the Lord. Look at that next bullet to celebrate. Uh, we have stayed committed to teaching, learning, living, and sharing, and put a circle around it, the authority of God's Word as our standard for faith in life. Uh, many of you are old enough to remember that in the 60s, there began to be a great tension in America and in our churches 
that nothing is, and the word starts with an A, absolute. And tragically, it wasn't in the culture. Some of you remember in 1969, on the front of Time magazine when Time was big, it said, God is dead. That was my senior year in high school. And I can tell you, even when I came to Missouri, and my job was to relate to our 2,000 pastors in the state of Missouri, in the Missouri Baptist Convention. And I can tell you that the majority of the ones that were committed to the authority of God's Word then are now put in the camp called among preachers moderates and liberals. I mean, some of my best friends in my mid-30s, that they would stand shoulder to shoulder with me in different state conferences and proclaim the authority of God's Word have walked away from that and have led their churches into what we call modern or liberalism. And I praise the Lord that by His grace in our lives, and believe me, it has caused great tension during the years that we've been a church. As we've continued to say, we must stand on the Word of God. It is our authority. And I praise the Lord for His staying power in us. And I want you to know by God's grace, as long as I'm your pastor, we will stay. Now, we stumble and we slip and we slide and we often just struggle in tension when we say, well, we want tolerance. We want to be what? Politically correct. And I say, no, and it's not about me because one day I'll be accountable to the Lord God. But we're going to stay on the Word of God. We're going to do that. Jesus was full of grace. We're going to do it with kindness and mercy and love and gentleness and tenderness. My son Philip's ever saying, Dad, you're just too much of a coach. You come on too strong all the time. And people get offended. Well, I'm going to show you something today that makes me look like a fruitcake. And that's Jesus when he was teaching the multitudes. In fact, I'm excited now because when I teach this, I'm going to purposefully try to bring my voice down and just speak real calmly because I'm telling you, we're going to look at some radical teaching today from our Lord Jesus Christ because he knew what it takes to truly experience him, not just walk along with him. Then look at that next bullet. We have had many stay. Last week in staff meeting, Joe Brooks said, do you know how many are actually still here? So I put that down there, and I went through our pictorial directory this week just simply counting faces. We have had many stay, love, grow, give, and serve from day one in the life of West County Community Church. And I counted, and you can write this number down, we've had 41 stay for 17 years. I told the praise team, I let them guess, and uh, as soon as we started our church, we had a man that was in our church that had just come back from a conference at Willow Creek, Billy Hybels. Some of you know, know that place and name, and, and they have thousands of pastors that relate to their ministry, and, and uh, Jim Breeden was the man that said to me, Pastor, I just came back from this conference in Chicago, and they made the statement, when you start a new church, and the majority of that church are people that come from other churches, and that was true when West County Community Church began, that in 10 years you will not have more than 10% of that beginning group. And I said, well, I hope we do better than that. Remember, this is in the very beginning. And sure enough, at 10 years, we had about 70 to 80. And now at 17 years, that's, that's what we have. 41 and it is difficult to change it is difficult to endure it is difficult those years in the schoolhouse believe me we had so many folks that just wore out they wore out 
I remember one uh, Sunday or one Monday we got the call that you, ba you mamas of babies will cringe at this, but where we could keep our nursery because it was right where we worship was, and of course we didn't know this, but we discovered it, it ended up being their room where the teacher taught the girls how to sew. So we got a call from a mother that was incensed because when she picked her baby up, there was a pin in the diaper that the baby had got on her. So we went in the next week on Saturday, about five or six of us in a big classroom, and for about an hour we discovered there were between 50 and 100 straight pins in the carpet that we had never noticed. So we were trying to pick all the pins out of the carpet, and that family left because they said, what if my baby would have swallowed that pen? And of course we hated it too, but there was just challenge after challenge. And I just want to affirm, we've got a few in this room. If you've been here all 17 years, the Matthews, Joe Brooks, would you guys stand? Jim Baker up above, would you stand? Anyone else that's been here? Robbie Allen? Now I'm going to give you another chance. Would you give these guys a great big hand for their endurance? Now while you're standing, we got one, two, three, four, five in first service. How many of you have lived in your home, the home you're living in right now for 17 years? Raise your hand. That's way above average. You can look around. That was about nine or ten. I have two. But I mean, that's something to be anywhere for 17 years. How many of you have been married for 17 years to the same person? Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's endurance. That's right. Okay, you can be seated. And we got one more, and then I got to get to teaching. But as I was just thinking of how we've been blessed, you can write in that bottom blank. We have had a Joe and Babs Brooks. And he didn't know I was going to do this. Stay and love. He's been tempting to leave to be a grandpa and grandma for the last several years. I thought, I better put this in there. We have had a Joe and Babs Brooks stay and love and grow and give and serve from day one in the life of West County. Now, Babs won't be here. Now you know why I ask. Will Babs be here in the second service? But Joe, would you come up here with me, buddy? You know, I, I talked about moving those barrels. Uh, we started out that every Saturday, because it was a big job. We're talking probably 30 rooms we had to set up. And there was a barrel of stuff for every room. And there was the bulletins, and we'd put tablecloths. I mean, it was a big job. So we started out when we were all first starting the church and a care group, even two care groups were assigned every Saturday to come do that. And I don't know how long that lasted because the Lord allows some bad memories to, to leave you. But after a few years, people got tired, but the need was still there. So who, who was there every Saturday? This guy right here. Uh, when we planted, there's 1,463, I think, trees and shrubs on this land that we had to plant before Wildwood would let us have our first service in this building. I mean, they had to be planted. And every Thursday, Friday, this guy with another man or two, with those two man diggers. See, for those that don't know, Joe used to be six foot one. <laughs> and as they would hang on, all these trees out here, I mean, they had to have big holes. And they'd be on that two-man digger, digging holes. And buddy, I'm not going to let you keep this because I want to present it with Babs so you don't get to see how much it is. And by the way, it's not like some envelopes you've given me with just a piece of paper. It's a real check, okay? But I'm going to give that to Babs, okay? And you, but I want you guys to show this guy your appreciation and love. Now that was much better. I wish you would have even cheered and gone, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, that's right. We love you, buddy.
Man, those people downstairs will think, what are they doing today? We love you, buddy, and we appreciate you. Now, open your Bibles. We're going to go right from celebrating to remembering. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And today we are going to study a passage of Scripture that when I first heard it, and I can remember it first time as a teenage boy, I thought, I don't understand that. I, I don't see how that can be true. I don't get that at all. And I want you to know what I'm going to teach to you today. I'm going to just try to lower my voice and let you hear the Spirit of God. I don't want in any way my passion or excitement when I get to going on the Word of God, I immediately, you know, get louder and raise my voice. I want you to hear the still, small voice of the Lord today. Because I promise you the fruit, the fruit of this message, every one of you would love with all your heart to be the fruit of your life. But I can tell you this passage in the teaching of Jesus brought more tension and caused most of the people to ever follow him to leave him. It's radical and it's personal. But it is the result of what we studied last Sunday, and that is being devoted. Now, if you were not here last Sunday, let me just catch us all up quickly. Look on the left side of your message notes. See, when we began to just look at the Scriptures in Acts 2, of course, the Holy Spirit came in Acts 1. Peter preached. 3,000 were saved. And then we saw the first word, if you look under Review A there, the first word describing the early church is devoted. And we saw that devoted means continually steadfast. See, we celebrated those that have been here for 70 years, Joe, because they have continually been steadfast in learning and growing and serving and giving. And we saw the four ways it described the early church. They were continually steadfast to the Word of God, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that was sharing Christ's life together, and praying. Because otherwise, you see, I give what happens. And by the way, we'll just take the first one. Otherwise, they would see life without God's perspective, presence, promises, and power. And I give an otherwise on each one. But so everyone knows and remembers from last week, what do those four DDDDs mean? If you were not here last Sunday or you forget, just write in, distracted, discouraged, defeated, and drifting. And so then go to the bottom bullet there and devoted. Here's what happened. They increasingly did what the Lord called them to do, and that was make disciples. See, that's our scripture memory verse for this week. Let's read it together. You look up under memory verse. Therefore go and... See, therefore go and make disciples. That was the Lord's strategy to reach the world for Christ. That, that was the Lord's way, His goal, when He came to earth. See, He loved the world. He died for the world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. But the way He saw that was through 12 called disciples, called designated apostles. And so even before he left, the last verse in Matthew's gospel account, he gave the strategy again, go make disciples. And I want you to know, I'm going to share with you this morning where I'm so challenged in that. And you can evaluate where you're so challenged. But it is the difference between 
loving God's promises and enjoying God's promises. Because every week in my life, there comes some time, either on the telephone or at the table, I sit with a man or a husband and wife or a teenager that they love the Lord, but they're not enjoying living the promises of the Lord. And, and I'll give you a model for that at the close of our study today. But just write in down there. Did you write in under the bullet, devoted? They increasingly did what the Lord called them to do, make disciples. And then I give you a Greek dictionary definition of disciple. You see the Greek word there, methetes. In general, this word means, and write it in, a learner. Now, Bill Hybels, again, 25 years ago, made the definition. He wrote a book on it, and it sold well over a million copies. And he would define a disciple as a devoted and disciplined follower of Jesus. But the actual word from the dictionary, and that is true biblically, it is a learner. And today we're going to look at the great difference between saying, I love the Lord and I have learned of the Lord. And there is a big difference. I loved the Lord as much as I knew how from the time I got saved at the age of seven through my teenage years. But I worried and I was anxious and I was upset and a lot of times I was resentful and bitter and I didn't know how to trust God all through my 20s and often even in my 30s and in my 40s. So I'm telling you first person, there's a huge difference between saying, I love the Lord and I loved him as much as I knew how and of learning of the Lord. Now, let's take this passage, Luke chapter 14. And you might just buckle your, your safety belt so you don't jump up and run away from listening to the Lord this morning. We're in Luke 14, verse 25. If you have your ink pen, I'm going to have you mark some things and write some things in your margin that you'll always have. First thing, Mark, verse 25. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up here and follow along as I read. But put a circle around large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Because that is a characteristic that's often found throughout the four gospel accounts. Why? And you can just write up there, Jesus was the healer and the feeder. He was the miracle worker. And even sometimes when Jesus would get in a boat and he'd start to go across the lake, the crowds would run around on the other side and they would be there because they knew if we're with Jesus, because Jesus saw the crowds with compassion, the scripture says that's love and mercy. And what would he do if it was coming mealtime? He would feed them and he would heal them. And so literally large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And isn't that what all of us love? We love the large crowds. That's why people go to stadiums. And they want to go when the World Series comes. I mean, years ago, when we were playing, was it nine, uh, 2006, and we were in the World Series, and Philip called me up and said, Dad, I've gotten some World Series tickets. And they're a great deal. Of course, I knew who was going to pay for the great deal. Dad, this is a memory. We don't know. We've never been able to go to a World Series. I enjoy it just fine watching it in my home. If we get behind, I go out and mow the yard. I come back in. I can check. I can even rerun it if I miss something. So we get and we go. And we set out on Highway 40. I mean, we drove to St. Louis an average speed about three that. I mean, we did two-hour drive. We got there. Of course, being the loving dad I am, I let him out. And, and one boy went with me because I said, I can get lost. And I think we parked right at the edge of Illinois and jogged for 25 minutes. To, I'm having a wonderful experience at the World Series. And we watched the game, and of course, we lost. But it was a memory, you see. I'm still remembering it. 
But people say that people go through all of that because we as people love it. And it is exciting. You know, from the first pitch, people were standing. Now, I went once to a playoff game, and we won, you know, and it was. People stood about the whole time, and you're just cheering and yelling, and it is very invigorating. Well, I want you to see what Jesus did, because this is profound. He is about to thin out the ranks of this crowd. In fact, if he'd have been a pastor, he'd have probably been fired after this, because he chased them most away. Because this is what Jesus knew. Remember, his strategy was to make disciples because crowds will not stay. Crowds will not endure. Look what he did here. Now just brace yourself. This is going to be radical, extreme. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. That is, you can just write in your margin there. They were just going along with him. And they were going along with him to get something from him. And turning to them, he said, and he will say this now in the next few verses three times. He will tell them they cannot be his disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I still remember when I heard that as a teenager, I said, whoa, what in the world does that mean? We'll look at that in a moment and keep reading. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me second time, you cannot be my disciple. And by the way, they knew what that meant. That meant death. That's how they executed people. And then he gives two analogies, and you can just write in your margin, building and fighting. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, and will he not first sit down and estimate the cost? And by the way, they built towers back then. What were their towers? Not for radio or TV, but their towers were what? For security and defense they would build a tower outside the city to see the enemy so they knew what that was about and that was a huge enormous job because they didn't have cranes back then so this is a huge enormous task suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it for if he lays the foundation is not able to finish it you know, if you only have a tower that's six feet tall, it's very embarrassing. And he's not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, well, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. I mean, just think how discouraging this talk is from Jesus for these people that came to get a blessing, and he's laying it on them. And then he says, suppose a king is about to go to war, and that often happened against another king will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 if he's not able he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace that is he'll he'll wave the towel he'll give up he'll suffer humiliation and defeat think of how many start strong in Jesus but wave the towel and say I quit And then he says one more time, in the same way, verse 33, any of you who does not give up everything, and underline it again, he, has, he cannot be my disciple. Everything I have, remember the story when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? And that's what Jesus said. You give everything, because he said, I'm perfect, Lord. I've kept all the commandments. I'm a goody-goody. Well, let's see how good you are in your heart. You just give everything you have, and the man walked away sorrowful. See, write it in under Roman numeral 1. The Lord's challenge, and we don't see this as a challenge, we see it as exciting. But the Lord's challenge, because He knew what it would take to impact the world, His challenge was large crowds came together to Him. Now that's the literal verbiage in the Greek text. 
You see how it says, we read in NIV, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. But literally in the Greek it says, large crowds came together to him. Just wherever Jesus was, the miracle work, worker was, large crowds came together to him. And here was the challenge of Jesus. Most leaders are excited when large crowds come. But his challenge was to thin the ranks. In another place, what did Jesus say? Narrow is the way. We like the broad way. And so write it in, number two, the Lord's caution. And I gave you the verses again. Three times he said it. You cannot be my disciple. So this morning, we're going to take a test. And this test was actually given to me when I was a student in seminary. And that's how it impacted my life. And I want you just to evaluate. You know, every test is an evaluation. I remember I heard the story of this student that got this final exam. There was only a midterm and a final, and he hadn't done real well on the midterm. He got this final, and I mean... You can remember in high school or college or grad school, there's some tests you get. Maybe you never experienced this, but I experienced a few. I got the test, and I thought, I'm not even in the same class as this professor. Where did he get this stuff? And one student once saw a test. He didn't know an answer, so he wrote on the test. Only God knows the answers to this test. And he got the test back, and the professor just played along with him and said, God gets an A, you get an F. And I tell you, as you look at this test, you may get an F in some of these areas. I've struggled and not doing too well in these tests. But as we look there at verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, some read that and say, see, there's a contradiction in Scripture because we know when the expert in the law asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, what did Jesus say? Matthew 22, you can write that down, verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So we can see when he says and you not even hate yourself, we know that Jesus had taught we need to have his love in our life so we can love others. If I'm hung up with my own struggles and baggage, I spend all my energy on myself, and I'm not freed up to love others. We know the, the commandment in Exodus 20, thou shalt honor and obey, and thou shalt love one another throughout the Gospels. So Jesus is not saying you stop loving. He's just giving this extreme principle and write it in, and I call it our test, number one there, personal relationships, is if I'm going to be, remember the meaning of a disciple, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, that is, if I'm going to learn of Jesus, disciples cannot have a higher priority in their lives than him. Jesus must be first in my life above any other relationship if I'm going to learn of him as he is. He is first. And this is a principle that actually flows throughout the Gospels and all of the epistles. When Jesus initially called those twelve to leave the multitudes again Go up on a mountainside, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught them what? You worry a lot. So in your worry, this is how you take care of your worry. Matthew 6, 33. Let's say it together. But seek ye. If Jesus is not first in my life, I will not learn of him. 
Now that's good enough to write down on some of those lines I gave you. It, when Jesus is not first in my life, I will not learn of him. Now I can serve him. I can preach. I can teach. I can do worship. I can do all these things in the church. You can do that, but you will not learn of him. I have spent times in my life looking back that I was not learning of him. So in the pressures and problems of my life, I kept doing what he tells me not to do. I kept being anxious and complaining and ungrateful in my circumstances and worried all the things that he says don't do. But see, unless I learn of him, I keep doing those things. If you find in your life that when circumstances are bad, you still stew and you get upset and you're worried and you become resentful and bitter and anxious, all those things that he says not to do, what's happening is you're not learning of him. Now notice I didn't say you're not loving him. Because I only learn of him when he's truly first in my life. And that's where it's just time for you to evaluate. If you're not experiencing what he promised to you, that you're more than a conqueror because he loved you, then you just need to get alone with God and say, Lord, grace me with the courage to be honest about my life. You know, early on in my life, we were living in Washington State, and when it came to go to seminary to be equipped in ministry, it meant us leaving 2,000 miles. But that really wasn't too bad because both sets of parents wanted us to get equipped, and after all, it was only what? For just two to three years. And we would be back, that was the assumption. So that really wasn't a struggle to leave. And then we get to this next area. Right in number two, personal goals and desires. Notice verse 27. It says, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that is a verse that's interpreted a lot of different ways. And even this week, yesterday I was ran into someone at the grocery store. In fact, it was our dear brother that built our waterfall, uh, Todd, just a sweetheart. And I hadn't seen him for a couple of months. And we were visiting, and he had heard something that I was going through, and, and he even used it. And he really knows the word. It surprised me. He said, you know, Pastor, I just don't see why you have to bear that cross. And I said, well, buddy, remember, when Jesus said take up your cross, he wasn't talking about difficulties in life. He was talking about that as he would die once for sin, Romans 6, 9, that we were to count ourselves dead into sin. He's talking about the attitude of repentance. That is, if you don't come to the place in your life where realizing that Jesus is first, that it is no longer your life, you don't give your sinful nature tolerance. Because whatever tolerance we all give our sinful nature, our sinful nature will ever scream and say what? It is all about me. I deserve to be selfish. It is all about me. I deserve to be rebellious. It is all about me. I deserve to be independent. And who cares what anyone else says? I'm going to do it my way. And here Jesus is looking at this crowd and saying, unless you give up your personal goals and desires. Now that's one I've really struggled with. And the reason why I've struggled with it, because God so blessed me in my 20s and 30s that I didn't even know. A lot of life you have to keep living. When you look back, by God's grace, you can understand. 
in, in my 20s and 30s, God blessed everything I did in ministry with numbers and success as the world sees it. And I pastored the fastest growing church in the Northwest, Washington or Oregon. I was 29 years age. I still struggled with zits a lot. But we were just growing and building. And Missouri, I'd never been to Missouri in my life, heard about this young pastor and asked me if I would come down to Missouri. 1984, I was 33. My son Philip's 35. Get a hold of this. And Philip has a beard. I didn't even have a beard then. I mean, when I would go to churches and I'd gotten my doctorate and I would go to places to speak where there were thousands and they would look at me and they had said, where's your dad? I mean, really, they, they thought I hadn't even got out of college. And you know what? The flesh, even though as much as I knew, was saying, Lord, you're Lord of my life. You're Lord of my life. I enjoyed seeing my name in lights. I enjoyed driving up to big conferences and play and seeing Dr. Phil Hunter speaking. And my flesh, like a little beagle just caught his first rabbit, would go, that looks good. I enjoyed listening to my introductions and sometimes thinking, I don't even know who they're talking about, but I like it. I enjoyed all that. I enjoyed my face in magazines and in different papers, state papers. I enjoyed preaching to thousands because empty chairs never have a possibility of being touched. I enjoyed it. I liked it. And the last 17 years largely has not been that. And I'm just trying to be totally transparent and honest with you that you hopefully can be transparent and honest with yourself before the Lord. And the Lord would say to me in times of discouragement, who really is first in your life? What is your goal really in life? Is it to make a name for myself or is it to make and glorify his name? And after seven years of doing that, I did that for seven years from the time I was 33 to 40, of going from conference to conference, place to place. There's a cost in everything. And I was loving it, but the ones that were paying the cost was my wife and my three little boys. Joe, you have such precious, such preciousness right there with you. Uh, Matt, when we moved to West County, he was six years old. And my little buddy, often I'd be gone for months, just coming on the one day and leave again the next day and he'd cry every time I'd pack my bags and then he'd be ugly as soon as I'd come home after a week because he wanted dad's attention and Josh was in the seventh grade when he said dad would you just please pray about going back in the pastorate and we did that and the reason why I did that is I knew I could not make disciples of my three sons being gone all the time. Because, see, that's what Jesus did when he chose those 12. What did he say? I'm going to spend my life with you. And Ronnie, often where she would go, because she was always without me, people thought she was a widower often. And so I want you to know that there's a price to everything, but write it in there concerning whatever your life's about to learn of Jesus. If you're going to learn of Jesus, disciples choose to lose their lives for His sake. For His sake. For His sake.
And I got to close. As usual, I'm out of time. Go to number three. Look down there at verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, underline that. We struggle with that. To give up everything, just write in their personal possessions. Now, I'm not just thinking of things here. I'm just thinking of everything because that's what Jesus said. This week I ministered to a man that's a church leader, but he is so filled with bitterness. And that's the thing he needs to give up is all his past hurts. He preaches the word every Sunday, but he's a very bitter man. And he needs to give up those past hurts. See, to learn of Jesus, disciples choose, write it in, to be possessed by him, not anything else. And that's where we studied a few weeks ago, Galatians 5, 16, 17, where Jesus said, live by the Spirit. And you can translate that, be possessed by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by Him. Don't be filled by anything else. And so the question comes, and I have it in the bullet there, is this cost too high? A study of the Christian church would be, for most, they say, this cost is too high. I mean, to put Jesus first in my life, to put all my goals and desires before Him first, to put everything in my life behind Him, He is truly Lord, that's just too high of a cost. And here's the thought I want to leave you with. It is not too high. It is not too high if you truly want to write it in, learn of Him. Not just love Him, not just serve Him, but learn of Him in experiencing His perspective, His power, His peace, and His purpose for your life. Now, this is what I mean. Take that purple sheet that had celebrating the power of love and turn it over. And the Lord gave me this idea Wednesday night after men's fraternity we break up into small groups, and after our time was over, all the men, we get up, hug, and say, see you later. And this one man stayed back, and this is a man that's known Christ for over 35 years. He is tender-hearted. He's a sweetie. He's here every Sunday. He loves the Lord. He's trying to be a godly daddy and a, and a godly husband. He says, Pastor, I am struggling. I need to visit with you. And as he started pouring out of his life, he said, you know, the thing about my life, it's ruled by fear, not by faith. Everything you say, everything in me knows it's right. I know it all. And as I was listening to him, just being transparent, it hit me. And that's where this idea came from Wednesday night. The Lord just said, see... The church is filled with people that love the Lord and are very sincere, but they've not learned of me. And I looked at him, and I mean, we're sitting close together, and I called him by his first name, and we've got a sweet, loving, trusting relationship. I said, you know what's happened in your life? You've not learned of the Lord. I said, let me show you what I mean. Now, just follow me quickly. I said, you love the Lord's promises, don't you? Oh, yes. I said, let's go through some favorite ones. And the favorite promise in all of God's Word, according to Gallup, is Psalm 23. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, that's the promise of his what? Contentment, of being satisfied. But how many Christians have you ever known that live content? 
most Christians, and I know in my life, so much of my life, I lived with a disease, and that's where I call it the word of Iphonitis. If I just had this, Lord, I'd be happy. If I just had this, Lord, and, and when finally the Lord showed me in my 30s, as long as you're on this road, you're in a pit. Because there's always going to be something in your life you don't have. Because the perfect world doesn't come till when? Heaven. Look at the next one. Now this is actually the principle on how to live God's promises, not just love them because we learn. Look, come to me. Let's read it together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, how do we learn of him? We have to be totally yoked, that's meeked, surrendered to his control. That is, put him first. And that's the promise of his rest. And that's the opposite of being worried. See, as long as we give Jesus the leftovers of our life, we're not going to learn of him. Number three, Matthew 28, 20. We love this promise. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the promise of his presence. What happens if you don't feel assured that you have his presence? You live your life in fearfulness. Look at number four, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And that's the promise of his power. Instead of living defeated, as most Christians do in secret areas of temptation, you live in his power. Look at number five, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the promise. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's the promise of his sufficiency. That Jesus truly is enough in my life. And that's where I live in gratefulness. And I live with His joy. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. And I'm able to endure instead of quit. It's amazing how every week in my life I either experience or hear about Christians that just fall apart in fits of rage. And they don't know the sufficiency of Jesus. You look back here, it's okay to turn around. Mr. Dick, hold your hand up. If you've never met this guy, he's a hero of the faith in our church. Since the last time we saw him, he's had a heart attack. And he sent word, it's just a little one. Have you ever heard when you're in your 80s of having just a little heart attack? But see, he has just little heart attacks because he has a great God. And he knows that even in death, he's praising the Lord. That's the difference in big problems and little problems, how big your God is. See, number six. This is one I think every day the Lord brings to my mind because I need it. Because something comes to me and it causes me at first when I look at it to be anxious. But the Lord says, no, I never told you one exception to be anxious. You're my child. I'm your God. In everything by prayer and petition, present it to me with thanksgiving, not complaining or murmuring, and present your request to God. And look what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the promise of his peace. And that's wholeness. And when I have his wholeness, life's still hard, but then in his wholeness I can deal with what's ever in front of me. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. And that's the promise of his confidence. And of course, I, I went on the web this week and I asked that question. There's a place there you can ask any question about the Bible. How many promises are in the Bible? Because I have books that say there's 900 and 
a book that says there's 2,000. Well, on the web, it says there are over 3,000 promises. Well, here's the question for you. If you think the cost is too high that Jesus talked about, well, then you know what you're destined for? You're destined to living this life, loving Him and serving Him and doing what you're doing, but not learning of Him. And each of us know how we really live life. Each of us know how we really relate to each other if we're married. Each of us know how we're really relating to our children. And I'll tell you, because of our sinfulness, because of our depravity, if I'm not learning of God, it's far less than I want or need. I need to learn of God. 